Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like this show, you can review us. You can rate us. You can subscribe to us. You know, you can do all sorts of supportive things. Hmm. But just like us. Just really, really like us. That's all... I can't tell if that's a really kind tone or a really desperate tone in your voice. I can't really tell. Can't can't it be both? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Describing my entire uh, middle school years, actually, is <laughs> what that is. <laughs> um, so on the show today, the one and only Stephen Godfrey. So not safe for work, uh, running an up-tempo offense with lots of words per minute. Uh, you're probably going to need a dictionary for a few of them. Um, I think there were some J school references in there. We did a complete short form oral history of the Laramie Tunsil draft bong mask character assassination that took place because he did a TV show about it. We talked about all the information that's misinformation that's going on with name, image, and likeness, athletic directors, the, the changes in college football. It's a completely chaotic time. It was, as usual, incredibly entertaining and informative when you have Stephen Godfrey on one of your shows. Man built to podcast. <laughs> yes, he is. There's no it, question. Not built you, to fit in his little room, though, because the, the he's well, got the he's, little arched he, roof, you know? He's a tall man. He is. Tall, dr- tall drink of water. <laughs> he's he's that, all right. Um, so, uh, wonderful conversation with Steven. Always, always, always one of my favorite guests, so can't wait to, to hear from him. No TV ratings on the show, and we'll have recommendations, of course, coming up a little bit later on. However, before we do any of that, Lame Stream Sports is brought to you by the fine, fine friends at Jasper's. So the Preds are going to play in some playoff games. We don't know how many. I'm assuming four because UC Soros is out for four to six weeks uh, and the Preds are fucked. But (laughs) (laughs) there are going to be at least four and there's still two more. One more, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, Jasper still has fantastic happy hours. Of course, free parking. They have a free game room so you can play air hockey while drinking your cheap beer and eating your wonderful burger while watching a Predators game all for very little dollars. Like it's just, it's, it's a fantastic place to go. Uh, it is the next evolution of the sports bar over on West end. You know, it's an elevated sports bar menu. It's got great sight lines. It's very airy, natural light, a lot of foliage. It's great. It's great. I, I say this every time because I mean it. It's true. Go to Jasper's. Yeah, there you have it. Go to Jasper's. Would you like to try to add anything to our conversation? Did you did you learn anything from our conversation with Stephen Godfrey that you'd like to point out that you say to folks, hey, make sure you listen to him say this or that or the other thing? Because he says a lot of words. Uh, just highly, highly entertaining. I'm always entertained by, by Godfrey. I know. Um, I, I would like to call this a no bullshit interview about the chaos in college football and the NFL draft. Maybe maybe a, I think more accurate is a no fucks given sort of interview. Also good. Also wonderful. Uh, as we said, not safe for work today on the show. <laughs> so uh, that just about does it for us here. We're going to turn it over to Stephen Godfrey. Uh, I, I guess secret base split zone duo. I'm not ever really 100% sure where he's working, but he's, he's always... Gonna, his byline shows up in the Washington Post every now and then. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no because big deal. You, no because, big deal. you know. Yeah, <laughs> just every now and then I write for the post, whatever. Hey, hey, Cavendish, every now and then you just, hey, I write for the Times. I know you like to throw that in there. So uh, anyway, here was our um, amazing, mostly because of Stephen, conversation with the great Stephen Godfrey. Stephen, good to see you, man. Welcome to the show. How are you? Good. Uh, busier than I should be in April. <laughs> that is true. Uh, so it is NFL draft weekend. We're going to obviously talk a lot about all the chaos that's been going on in college football with conference commissioners and all the different things that are happening. Um, Jack Swarbrook saying things from Notre Dame about the future of the game this week. But I just I want to get your thoughts uh, as someone who sees all the the backroom stuff happening. Wh- where does NFL agents and draft conversations with players and prospects, where does that sort of rank relative to coaching carousel misinformation and recruiting misinformation and congressional misinformation. Like where does the draft and what, what these players actually have to go through, how does that all fit fit together? Uh, Are are we ranking them in terms of like insidiousness or just, or or the, or or the prevalence of it? Uh, Both. (laughs) Uh, I think the prevalence, it's, it's funny 
the more transparent we become in terms of like information platforms, misinformation abounds. It's like a, it's just this exponential theory. It's very strange. And so I think now more than ever, GM scalps and the NFL apparatus actually have more of a means to, I mean, honestly, rat fuck a prospect in the, in the traditional definition of that term, if they want to. And it's still very prevalent today. I mean, we're seeing it right now, you know, as we record this, it's before the draft, but uh, you know, Thibodeau in Oregon has probably been the, the bear, the brunt of that this cycle um, and could still easily go in the top five could go in the top 10 after months of the more traditional kind of racist leaning. Does he have, you know, does he have a love for the game type of, of narrative? And so I think fans and NFL consumers are more aware of that, but it hasn't stopped the process from happening because of the demand for content between you know, the end of Super Bowl and, and now. Is, is George Pickens type of guys fall into that category as well? Or is there like, like, where's the line on what's okay to say about a prospect? Oh, shit. I don't know. I wouldn't want to draw that. But I think that Pickens is a different beast because you're not investing. I think edge rusher is a highly disputed position right now. This is one of the things that like, I, I think has become, I don't know if we're talking about edge rushers the right way anymore because of the way the game has changed. And so, you know, I, I, we were talking about this on Split Zone recently. We have this demand for the classic, almost the old school 3-4 linebacker. Like, I grew up on Lawrence Taylor, right? Lawrence Taylor being like Jesus-level Thor god on the field. And by the time we got to Mario Williams, Jadavion Clowney, Chase Young, Vic Beasley, you know, all, all to varying degrees of success, we didn't, we didn't see world-changing pass rushers. And so I think it's part, partly it's that position. But like, I, I think people are invested in edge rushers in a way in which maybe short of quarterback, we don't have. I think it is sort of like that quarterback level focus on the defense. In the case of Pickens, you know, he's not projected that high. And I think the, the concerns and the conjecture are going to go way down once the financial investment does. But if you are a projected top 20 pick at any point or first rounder, uh, you're going to be subject to way, way more speculation. So we're recording this here on Thursday. The I guess what I would say is Happy Laramie Tunsil Day. Uh, How many years has it been? Uh, oh it's God. been. He's out of his rookie contract. So which was, was it, a was it sixteen? Was which was a uh, which was a Dolphins contract, and then he ended up at the Texans. Mm-hmm. And I think he, I think he just resigned. I think he just resigned for like a fairly large number. Uh, you would think I would have this information off the top of my head, but um, it, it was such a f- exhausting process for me in the middle of all that that I, I kind of blocked it out. Uh, as, uh, as as one should. Um, yeah. The uh, it's not it's not really important what year what year six took years. Place. Six, yeah, I was gonna say I think it's yeah I think it, I think it was sixteen or whatever. Yeah, but it was, I, it was April sixteen. I remember now. So what we want you to sort of give people is give people like the 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 tent poles of the story sort of an oral history of what took place that night with Laramie Tunsil, the, the, the actors, some of the bad actors. And uh, again, have we learned anything about that situation that can affect kids going forward? Uh, I, so if you don't know, I've made a documentary that was on a couple different networks for you. You can watch the whole thing on YouTube now. It's uh, called, and I didn't name this show, and I think the name sucks. I can say that six <laughs> years later. Foul play paid in Mississippi. That's what happens when uh, advertising people get involved in the creative process. So yeah, that word soup of a title can be found on YouTube, uh, on the secret base channel, which is where I currently work. But, um, throughout that documentary, we sort of highlight Tunsil as one of the narrative threads. The shortest version is that after having a really successful career as a tackle in the sec, that was sort of pocked by NCAA investigations into improper benefits that have now become legendary in terms of how small the scale was. So, He slept on the couch of an assistant coach. He had a rental car for too long. Like these kind of level of ticky tack uh, violations compared to, as we now discuss NIL in 2022, that's the first reason this is dated. He also had a huge blow up with his mom's boyfriend slash fiance that resulted in physical violence after he struck, after the the stepfather struck um, his mom. And so this just, I mean, stock Hollywood character, shitty stepdad becomes basically um, the supervillain in the story. And there's information out there 
that or there's there's information that's damaging to Laramie at the time. I don't think even six years later it's that damaging now. Uh, what everyone remembers is that on draft night, basically after some, I mean, really kind of ransoms were not met. Um, Laramie, there's a picture of Laramie in a gas mask that's modified into a bong, smoking weed on the campus of Ole Miss. Shocking. A college kid? Uh, wait, 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 wait. A, co- a college kid was smoking weed so, on campus? Uh, Are you fucking I, kidding me? So I made this show in 17 and 18. And I, and I spent a lot of time on campus when I was making a TV show. And I didn't go back to Ole Miss after that, ever. Not, not, like a, not as a purposeful thing. I just didn't go back. You know, I mean, if anyone knows me, I'm not really like a good rebel, as they say down there, uh, nor do I give a shit. But um, I I had to go to Oxford recently to uh, I, this is like a family thing. But I was I was dropping off one of my kids to a grandparent. It was the halfway point between uh, one one set of grandparents in Jackson, Mississippi, another set in Louisiana. So Oxford's a good halfway point. If you live in Nashville, you know that like it's you know, it's it's halfway to those destinations. And uh, I got invited at the same time to speak. And so I was like, I'll do, all right, I'll do this. I'll do this. I went and spoke to an advanced reporting class. Long story short, went in, did probably the worst scared straight speech in the world on going into journalism. Like it was, it was probably anathema to what they wanted. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know if anyone remembers this. Was it like the Discovery Channel in the 90s where they would take kids who had like yeah, minor offenses yep. and put them in prison for a day? That's basically what I did to two, two advanced level reporting classes. Um, go go and, learn mandarin and html woo! go learn mandarin and html i scared the shit out of one girl wanted to go to broadcasting um <laughs> at the end of it a, a kid came up to me hey thanks for doing this i'm uh, i know who you are you know sports fan whatever he goes last semester i lived in that house that laramie smoked weed in and it's it's become and everyone has this on a college campus. Any, anyone who goes to college has like these legendary spots that are like famous diners or just a weird thing happens there. Some place you go like spray paint or whatever. And in Oxford, that's that room, which is just a it's just a shitty rental house where he smoked weed with the Confederate flag as a backdrop because Ole Miss um, it has become <laughs> this like sought after kind of, uh, I don't know, folk legend. Which is the reason I bring that up as an anecdote is kind of where him smoking weed, that's the perception of it now. That's the impact of it now. That's how so, silly we seem. We, we sort of take this to be six years later. Now, so, what, so, so what you're saying is not. What you're saying is if, if this were in Nashville, like this would have been Larry Mead, uh, Tunsil smoking mead in front of like a mural. Like yes. the wings, this is like the yeah. wings mural of Oxford, Mississippi. Well, yeah, but it's or, like or, or the you know, rock or the rock in Knoxville. Like, yeah, we kind of grit our teeth at that in Nashville. I, I think the way people look at it, it's kind of funny. Any any old Miss fan with a sense of humor kind of looks at it now, where it's like there's a sentimentality to it because that time was so fucked up with the Hugh Freeze stuff, the Leo Lewis stuff. I mean, we made a whole TV show about it there, and then you know the the sex scandal with the cell phones and Freeze like the Tunsil thing became quaint very quickly because it was, Hey, this guy got a bucks and smoke some weed. Like what? It's almost like if you drove by and you're like, that's where Rotiers used to be. Like it's a sentimental kind <laughs> yeah, of thing. Yeah. That's, that's my Nashville comp. Yeah. For it. So, <laughs> that's, 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 exa- that's perfect. Now you were about to say yeah. though, while it is such a small, it feels such like, like a minute, small, irrelevant thing in real life. Yeah. It had a far different effect on his actual life in the moment. I think now, six years later, you know, obviously the photo was leaked as the draft began. So I think Goff was drafted first, but Jared Goff was drafted first by the Rams. And then I want to say right after that, that's when it was supposed to hit. And I'm trying to remember, was it Detroit? I'm trying to remember where he was supposed to land. He was supposed to go no further than third. And I cannot remember... I mean, we can do this live when no. the 2015 draft order was because it was a big deal when he wasn't immediately the first uh, offensive lineman off the board because he had projected that way, right? So this would have been so this would have also been the Titans year where they had the number one pick and they traded back to the middle of the round with the Rams and then the Eagles moved up to two and then the Titans came back and took a tackle in the top ten ahead of Laramie Tunsil. Took my buddy Jack Conklin, a former SB Nation Peisman candidate. Um, from Michigan State. So uh, you've got like nine Ryan, plugs in the first six minutes of this interview, by the way. Well that's done. That's what I do, man. 
Uh, it was actually the second. There was another tackle. It was uh, Ronnie, Ronnie Stanley from, yep. from Notre Dame. That was when the panic set in. But he had been projected as high as going to San Diego. That's what it was. San Diego and or Dallas was talked about. That that it was going to go, wow, what a stellar lineup. It was going to go Jared Goff and then Carson <laughs> Wentz. One two, which shows you the the, the sort of fra- fragility of draft logic. Uh, uh, both then both, he fell. Hang on, both have gone. Their teams have gone to Super Bowls with those Correct. quarterbacks. Yeah, yes, they just, have. Just to point that out. That's right. Technically, they have. Uh, full stop. No context. <laughs> uh, so it breaks. I want to say after the second pick, after Wentz goes, because a lot of people had Laramie projected that high, and it's the picture of him smoking weed, and then it's also text messages with him and a guy named Barney Farrar, who was uh, essentially the DFO or the ops guy for the football team, talking about like, the light bill getting paid at his mom's place. Real nefarious shit here. Real, you know, real, <laughs> real high level Rick Ross moving cane. Fuck, you know, just it's insane to <laughs> talk about this now. Um, but that, with the Schefterisms of the NFL media, uh, was enough to just start kneecapping him immediately. The interesting thing here is that Laramie was originally signed to a much smaller agency. I don't want to name them right now. I don't know if I should, but that agency lost out when Freeze came in and basically kind of strong arm Laramie and his his people into signing with Jimmy Sexton and CAA. That became a saving grace. And I'm not I, I certainly am not one to cape for CAA and Jimmy Sexton, but that became a saving grace because. Sexton and his team are big enough and well-connected enough to know what was happening and then create what were, what there's a pair, there's a, a phrase called parachute picking. And this is kind of when it was born, I think in the modern age where, you know, for sure, if you're in free fall, you're going to call someone who's six, seven, eight, ten 10 picks down and say, if we get here, are you going to, are you going to draft us? And the team will say, Hey, you, you know, you may have a dent and a scratch in terms of your character. We're going to take you. So that's happening with Thibodeau right now because I've read several stories about him falling as far as like 8, 9, 10, all the way to 15. And so it's you're projecting, well, where, where's the parachute pick at? The Dolphins were the parachute pick because of Sexton. Sexton actually contacted the Dolphins and said, this is going to come out. He smoked weed in college. There's NCAA issues, which, by the way, don't affect you in the NFL. It's not real life. I, <laughs> I, I've said this a thousand times in my career. This isn't he didn't have a misdemeanor. He, he could have, it could have been a bigger problem had Laramie, this is not a joke, had Laramie had a suspended driver's license, that would have been more of a concern to the Miami or, Dolphins or the or NFL. Or say an assault, assault charge at Michigan? Oh, wait. Exactly. Wow. Or maybe or maybe a Mississippi State quarterback who had a DUI. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, Jeffrey Simmons on the Titans, who is on videotape, you know, beating a woman's face in. Like, these are the, these are the concerns when you're in the NFL. So it kind of backfired and Sexton was able to move that into like he, he contextualized it, I should say. And the Dolphins were basically like, yep, yeah, no worries. I, I, there's a glare in your screen. I can't. Yeah, that's you. That's you freeze on NFL Network right now. <laughs> Just I mean, I can found that ironic. I can tweet him if you want to. And then he'll he'll be in my DMs <laughs> in five seconds. Uh, <laughs> he does more. Na- he does more name searching than any. Maybe maybe Kiffin does. I don't know. If you have a blue check, if you're a media member on Twitter, and I don't say blue check in like the pejorative conservative way, if you say something remotely critical, if you freeze, there is a better than 50% chance he will be in your DMs or if you, or, or find your number and text you, I'd say within 48 hours. He might be busy today because, you know, like Malik Willis is in Vegas and all that jazz, but like by and large on your average Tuesday, you can hit that at, and he he will see it almost immediately. <laughs> there, there are current Power Five head coaches who search themselves on Twitter, and all of them have one thing in common: they're doing a shitty job coaching. Like all of them are hot seat adjacent. Just want to throw that out there as free advice. <laughs> so uh, that is the oral history of the Laramie Tunsil. I mean, in a very ass. chunky way, yeah. yeah so, yeah. so I, if you want to take something away from this, if this was new news to you. You can go watch the documentary. Um, I don't care. They already paid me for it. Um, but I don't think this could break down the same way in 22. In fact, like I I, jo- I saw this yesterday and I laughed. Laramie is NFTing the photo. And for he's charity. Just, for fantastic. Charity, right? I think it's great, but he's not even making any money off of it because he, oh, I, I guess we should say this. Laramie lives happily ever after. Uh huh. 
like he's an NFL left tackle and a good one. He, he, you know, none of, none of the bullshit around him at Ole Miss affected his ability to be an NFL all pro caliber left tackle Mm -hmm. or right tackle. So now he's auctioning off this NFT and giving it to, I I believe it is a charity that deals with cannabis crimes. So just people serving mandatory minimums or just people who are up against, you know, misdemeanor charges for specifically for marijuana possession or distribution. So, so so equally as stupid as NCAA violations. (laughs) So you can draw, I mean, here's the difference. Six years ago, I was, I was, uh, I remember exactly where I was. We were renovating our house. I was sitting in a tiny apartment watching it happen in Nashville, Tennessee. In 2022, I can come pick you guys up. We can get on I-24. And it's about a three hour and five minute drive to Southern Illinois where we can go buy wheat. You can go buy wheat. In fact, there's a very famous picture that circulated on Twitter of someone with the Tennessee uh, government plates. Steve, you know what I'm talking about? When oh, you yeah. Plates on your car. Uh-huh. Parked in front of the dispensary in uh, in Southern Illinois. I can't it's remember pa- the name. Of it's, the town. it's right across from Paducah, right? Like you get to Paducah and you go. Not that yeah, I know. Not that a I know. Little bit, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like like if you you don't, it, you don't have to go to Carbondale. No. And by no, the way, don't no, go no, to no. Carbondale. No, I was saying no. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't go to Carbondale. Um, I know the coaches on that staff. But I, yeah, I used I to I used to live in, I used to live in Carbondale when I was a kid. So my point is that six years later, there is there is some ubiquity to recreational marijuana use, even amongst the pearl clutching upper middle class white people that sort of dominate outrage cycles. And I don't know if Hutchinson from Michigan or just pick a name. It doesn't matter if there's a picture that surfaces as the draft is going on of them smoking weed. I think I think the collective response would be a shrug. So I we've, certainly think so we've, we've pro- NCAA we've violations would not affect a draft stock anymore. All right. The, progress. All right. The interest, the interesting thing, uh, does he own the, does he own the photo that he's NFT? Probably not. I was going to say, cause if somebody else snapped it, they've got the copyright on it and they get to anyway, that's a, yeah. that's, okay, a that's a side he, issue. He's doing it for charity, so I hope it. I hope the legality of it works. Normally, I hope every one of your NFTs fails miserably. <laughs> yeah. They're an environmental pop yeah. and the worst thing in the world. I will right-click every one of them I see. No, I, I, I'm with you on that one. Um, yeah, I don't think people understand the environmental impact of uh, crypto and NFTs and all that stuff. But we, we can. That's that's a show and a topic for another another podcast. All those people should be rounded up and put in a camp, uh, or, or just make them live in El Salvador, where it's legal tender and currency. <laughs> Lamestream Sports is, in fact, a podcast about Nashville sports media and business. I feel like I have to change my tone in the middle of a Stephen Godfrey interview to make sure people know that it's an ad. And I think by doing that, it will be very clear because you can't mistake Stephen Godfrey's tone. We are a podcast about Nashville sports media and business, and we are brought to you by... Jaspers! <laughs> well done. How's, how's that for changing tone? I liked it. I liked it. It came out of nowhere. Uh, I hope the audience is still with us and that their speakers are... Turn down a little bit more. Relatively intact. Yes, exactly. Um, Three dollar beers, ten dollar burgers, smash burger, which I think is a double patty for all Predators home and road games. There are only a handful left. You got the NFL draft this weekend, so make sure you're going to Jasper's. You got NBA playoffs. Grizzlies games are freaking unbelievably fun to watch. So we got playoffs all over the place. Um, Tennessee baseball is worth watching. So just there's so much to do at Jasper's. You got the grab and go market. You got the free game room. It's just a really fun place to be, frankly. I mean, sure. All those things are true. You, you've run out of things he's, to say he's about not Jaspers? The, he's not the best analyst in the business for, for a reason, folks. Uh, <laughs> Is that a Major League reference? Yeah. Yeah. I, I miss Major League. I I do. Where did it go? It didn't get well, canceled. Well, I, I usually go back. I usually go back and watch it, you know, at some point before baseball season starts, because it because I it just it's just so damn enjoyable, even as dated as it is, because I mean it's getting really dated now. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, the Indians aren't a team anymore. <laughs> well, there's that, but um, but uh, I haven't done it yet, and you know that thanks baseball. Uh, I, I blame baseball for this. I I don't think you should blame baseball for this. I think you should blame Music City baseball for this. But, sure, but that's a different. That's a different set of blames. I, I don't. I don't care. I think they should be compiled and aggregated <laughs> into one place and one and blame Music City Baseball for you not watching Major League. But 
but besides that, go to Jasper's, folks. The food is great. The menu is, I mean, the, the menu really is, is just so much more than you should expect to get from a sports bar. Yeah. Uh, and the, you know, the atmosphere is fantastic. Uh, you know, we've been, we've been harping on the, these Preds deals here for months, but it really is just the best deal in town for a, for a night out watching the Preds, you know, a beer, a burger, a game. It, you, you're, you you can't do this at the sounds game. Uh, <laughs> and oh my God. Way, I took, oh, you dude, you don't, I, I can't believe you just said that my buddies bought tickets for our whole group, all of us with our kids to go to the sounds game. And he was like, we're, we're going to buy really good seats. And I was like, first of all, I was like, why? Yeah, <laughs> like right. you can sit anywhere it's baseball <laughs> like that goes for minor and major league stadiums you buy the you, cheap tickets sit wherever you want you won't be able to name a player before you get there it it, it costs 34 dollars for my four-year-old to go yeah 34 dollars for my five-year-old to go um that's that's 68 more dollars than it costs to park at jasper's and <laughs> and and now that the weather's and now that the weather's getting warm you can have air conditioning. Oh my God. Oh my God. We had to move back from our expensive seats to the cheaper seats. So we could be in the shade. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, here's my thing. Here's the thing about Jasper's. Here's an idea. Cause we know, uh, we know the higher ups, the suits at Jasper's are constantly listening and Ahoy polloi. Yeah. Um, when all the seasons run out and hockey and basketball season are done and NBA finals. And now we're, we're near like the college world series part of the sports calendar. It's golf season at Jasper's sports movie night in the library back there. What do you think? Oh, that's a good idea. Or in the game room, like put on every like Wednesday night or something. We've got like a kick-ass sports movie. Just have or, something running in the background. Yeah. Like major league or Caddyshack or whatever. And like this week we're going to do. And like, it, it's got like a whole bell court vibe, you know, <laughs> where you play old movies. Maybe not a bell court. Vibe, okay, fine, whatever. You know what I mean. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm all, I'm all in favor of this. I mean, I think the rights fees alone will probably prevent them oh. from doing this. But oh, but what if it's just on a channel? You, are you, you talking you about that, how, right? Are you talking about how like the MLB channel plays the same four baseball movies over and over and over again? Do you think Ken Burns would pay us to play the documentary at Jasper's? I don't think so. <laughs> what if we offered him a beer and a burger? I bet you do it. Guy likes baseball. If you like baseball, you got to like beer and burgers. And you know where you can get all that? Jaspers. Go to Jaspers, everybody. After a year of after a year of NIL here, what what have we what have we learned about kind of players and reputations and and you know all these sorts of things? Because it, I think you're right. I mean, there are certain behaviors that have been normalized. Uh, I, I think. Weed, weed, even in, in in the six years here since Tunsil has lost a little bit of its stigma. I mean, God, I mean, it's it's legal in so many states now, mm-hmm. uh, on either a medical or just straight up basis. That you know, it's not even illegal in in, in a lot of places. It, the feds, I, are, I, yeah. I have CBD next to me right now. I mean, the, the feds are talking about about decriminalizing it. Uh, you know, here right now. So. Yeah. Mike, I guess my I guess my question is, you know, after after a year of NIL and so, so supposedly, you know, players being paid, what 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 do we what do we know? That the market is going to have a lot of wild inefficiencies because, as most markets, most emerging markets in a capitalist economy do, speculators are going to come in. We don't understand the value of supply. We don't understand. ROI yet on what it is you're getting for your money from the kid. And I think the biggest change between the black market economy of the last hundred years and now bringing some of it above board is that those who invest are seeking a a more tangible ROI. And so because of that, you won't have as much good money after bad. Whereas like the, was it Fred Taylor a couple weeks ago was talking about taking an actual bag from uh 50 grand florida yeah so so that's not going to happen as often however i would point to spencer rattler like this is not we we have not figured out this system yet spencer rattler got paid by oklahoma boosters via nil in in the above board way and is now playing in south carolina so um you know the i talked to a lot of compliance directors last summer as this as the avalanche was coming and they had more concern about maintaining eligibility whereas the coaches at, at some of the higher more prestigious institutions were worried about 
they didn't want to do it. No one was happy to do it. No one even wanted to utilize it in terms of an advantage in recruiting. What they wanted and what, what they were worried about was getting lapped by someone else. So if you're if you're A and M, you didn't want Texas to find you didn't want Texas to unlock the way to do this and then and leave you behind. Those, those schools aren't rivals, of course, but you know you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> Tennessee. So, I mean Tennessee's doing this. I mean everybody in some way, shape, or form is. I've yeah. seen the internal emails of two SEC schools on how they build it, and um, boy, those names are awfully familiar from my reporting. I mean, I got an email the other day. I got an email the other day, and it's basically like a, just a, it's a just a uh, closed newsletter for people donating to a fund. And I was like, I know you, I know you, and I know you. From so the old days. so there is one flow of information that has to happen on its own without any paper trail and that is who does josh heupel actually want on his team who does nick saban actually want on his team who does kirby smart actually want on his team that's okay. the that's the one thing that that, ha- that still has to be sort of quote unquote under the table in all of this but that information has to flow somehow because you can't just pay eight million dollars for a quarterback that the coach doesn't want yeah um i you know if you're referring to the athletic story i i just my head hurts thinking about how that thing was framed. I really do. They took an outlier instance, which by the way, a lot of economists could show you that $8 million is market value given the, like given just the television rights fees that are flowing. Would you blink if there was an $8 million quarterback in the NFL? Would you blink? I mean, like I, I can do this all day. The athletic framed that story in such a way that it's, it, it, it was designed to, I said this on our show, you guys remember the satanic panic, Steve, it's probably like it's I'm a little too young for it. But in the 80s, I learned this in journalism school. There was this thing that happened in local newspapers and local TV stations in the 80s where there were all these stories about, hey, your kids might be worshiping the devil because of like Metallica records. And there was a legitimate concern. This is not a, this is a real thing. You're seeing it now with this whole grooming bullshit. Right. Right. That, that your kids were going to end up being taught by devil worshipers in their local high. This is a real thing. It happened. And it was, it was a moral panic designed by one faction to generate hysteria against either something that wasn't real at all or for political gain or for whatever reason. The, the, the stuff that you probably remember out of that is, is a term called backwards masking yeah. uh, where supposedly if you, if you had vinyl uh and ran the, you know, ran a, yeah. the, yeah. ran it backwards yeah. that yeah. you were getting special messages from, from the artists in, you know, in the grooves of those records. Yes. From Satan. Um, <laughs> no, this is real. No, I know it is. I just spent five seconds actually thinking about it for the first time. Yeah. Um, and I just, it just is. So well, and, and, and I mean, this was a different time contextually in culture where like, you know, <sighs> the band was named Judas Priest or Black Sabbath. I drop my kids off at a Catholic school every day. And one of my son's favorite songs is Iron Man for obvious superhero reasons by a name, by a band named Black Sabbath. And I don't think anyone would ever put those two things together. You know, I'm in a Catholic school parking lot blaring Black Sabbath because we're just different culturally. Right. Like I put it together because I think it's funny. But (laughs) this is how NIL is being treated right now. Now, you want to know why? It's because we're all sourced out of the same pool. Everyone in college media sourced out of the same pool. They have spent decades keeping us from having genuine, honest relationships and flows of information with the labor class. If you go to the University of Tennessee and you want to write a story, they would put you in front of Josh Heupel, Danny White, uh, Rick Barnes a thousand times before they would leave you alone in a room with one athlete for five minutes. It's just that that's that's how it is. That's nothing to do with UT. I just use use them as an example. Shout out to Danny. He's a great dude. Um, the, <laughs> because of this, can't see the eyes rolling by the way on the podcast. Um, Audio. look, no, no, he has gangster status. I know. I, I, I know. I know how you feel. He has it. gangster. I, I have awarded him gangster status. And so like, I think he's doing a really good job. I just, yeah. Like, I don't like, I think you want an AD you don't trust. I think that should be right. like, that's it. That's an asset in the sec. Like you want an AD who could have you rolled up in a carpet and thrown into a bridge off of a bridge somewhere in Johnson city. I think that's what you want at UT. I just don't feel the need to ignore that part of it. I think you should say that part out loud. Like Greg Byrne could have you killed. Mobile's got a lot of like brackish water. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm just telling you right now, Greg Byrne could have me killed if he wanted to. Danny uh, White uh, wants Scott, to have the ability to kill people like me. So Scott, Scott Woodward. 
Uh, aspiring. Yeah, 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 yeah. But if he if he doesn't get ROI off Kelly, they're gonna kill him. I mean, like, yeah, right, right, right. It's all laughs when I say this shit, but like, yeah, it's it, it's up until look, it's all mob functionality up until the murders. Everyone's got and, a boss. and like being prosecuted. And if you and if you take issue with that, like, I mean, there's a hospital embezzlement case for paying offensive linemen at LSU. Like, I love children always, children's hospital. Yeah, people always accuse me of the brinksmanship in terms of the PR war with the SEC. And I'm like, y'all took the crazy person creed and made it your fucking like marketing slogan. You yeah. know, but no one no one likes that when I point out that like 10 years ago, a doctor in Kentucky branded a UK logo on a woman's uh, like stomach or something. And it got out like that's what it just means more means. It means we're going to poison your trees and burn your house down. Right. Well, it's it's not any different than like this is what makes a great communication strategy. Though. Like like. Make America Great Again is brilliant because yeah. of all the layers and because of what it means and because of how simple it is, because of the recall and because of all the things like the negativity of it just means more is baked into the messaging. Like it's it's but yeah. it, and they know and they know what they're doing until something really bad happens publicly. And they're like, oh, right. God, the SEC doesn't condone this behavior. And I'm like, oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> so so let uh, me ask you, can I yeah. go? Can I ask you about ROI? Because I find that to be fascinating because I don't think this particular economic marketplace functions like a traditional economic marketplace because there's a there's a huge like a five-star quarterback's a 50 50 hit rate so there's a big chunk of this money that's going to be wasted but i also find i also think it's interesting that you are more valuable as a recruit to some degree while you still are selling hope and potential to a fan base versus actually showing up on campus like i think you're going to get your money's worth in the last year of their high school season yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, because right now, like, again, we'll just use Nico because it's the thing that we can talk about. But like, he's he's earning back some of that money already. And he has not even played a down or even gotten to campus yet. So there is some actual economic value there for the people investing in him. Yeah, there's but some. At the end of the, but at the end of the day, it's not going to function like a normal marketplace where if it's a bad business decision, businesses stop doing it. That's not going to happen, right? Because no, but the dollar, the, the, dollar money gonna, the dollar figure is going to adjust it, it, whether or not these things are successful or, or they fail. Every economist has, has said this about NIL. It's just we're going to have a we're going to have a weird, wonky period where there's going to be undervaluing and overvaluing, and people are going to eventually, over time, look at a data set and start setting market prices. This is basic macroeconomics. And so, to go back to the hysteria thing for a second. It's disingenuous reporting, in my opinion, to go and take an outlier case that's $8 million, which, again, is not that much money contextually when you look at how much money the SEC brings in in revenue. It's disingenuous to do that because we're all still figuring this out. We're figuring this out in the way in which we are because the NCAA and their and their stakeholders, so that's all the SEC schools specifically and the Big Ten and everyone else, shirked the responsibility for decades. Yeah. And when the thing finally collapsed on itself, they all raised their hand and now they're going privately to people in the media who are sympathetic to the cause and saying college football is a mess. No, this shit was coming for 30 years and you ignored it because you wanted to stand on moral high ground or you were benefiting from a business model where the labor had to be unpaid. That's the problem. What what does Notre Dame and Jack Swarbrick benefit from saying the quiet part out loud this week in an interview about the split coming in college football, the act, the finances, the finances of it, and that basically I think the quote is something along the lines of there are so many schools trying to leave their conferences. Right. What, what, what is, what's the point behind that message from Jack? Well, he's the only one who could say that that uh, of relevance because they're not in a conference. And so he just, he's working from a position of power, which he should. I didn't think it was that big a deal, nor did I think it was a revelation, because all he's saying is those with moneyed interests are going to those with like like minded moneyed interests are going to work together. So there will be a consolidation where we're entering a phase in which Ohio State has more in common with Alabama than they do with Michigan State. That's it. Michigan State's not a great example because they've been very aggressive, but Ohio State has very, very little in common with Indiana or Purdue. But they have a lot in common with Florida and Alabama. Yeah, that's it. That's that's basically, I think, what he was leaning towards. I think autonomy is a word that hasn't been spoken a lot this cycle, which is weird because all the behavior I'm seeing just screams autonomy. Especially with Swarbrick saying, like, hey, there won't be an NCAA. Because there won't be. Emmert stepping down is just, it, it felt very inevitable. It didn't, it didn't come as a shock to me at all. Yep. So, so that was my next question, is that, you know, uh, uh, the pearl clusters that are out there maybe pining for, a, pining for an, an NCAA era that, you know, had its had all of its own problems. The where do we where where are we headed with the NCAA 
and and these sort of perceptions because uh, the things that we're talking about that would have all been infractions before are now out in the open and people are being paid for. And in light of that, it you know, improper contact with a recruit seems like such a pissant sort of thing that you know, it, when when NIL deals are being cut with high school seniors for millions of dollars. Right. Um, so the answer right now is that everyone is very flat-footed. I won't say they were caught flat-footed because again, we said, hey. Yeah. Storms coming, storms coming. And it wasn't just the media. I mean, there were industry analysts saying this. There were other athletic directors saying this. There were studies done inside of Indianapolis. I, I had a very long, interesting talk with someone who is um, recently departed from the NCAA about a couple, a couple weeks ago. And they confirmed a lot of what I knew from from outside sources or people at schools, which was there were there was a, a group inside of Indianapolis that said we have to do something. But the the position of like Mark Emmert and the position of those individuals, they, it is designed to create inertia. He's he's a, he's a whipping post, right? He's a scarecrow. He's a lot of things. That's what that position was designed to be. It was never designed to rule or or um, or be a commissioner. People always talk about like, well, how come he doesn't act like Roger Goodell or Adam Silver? That's the last thing they want. They don't want to be ruled. They want a proxy when they need a proxy. Yep. They want to they want to fo- kind of throw him out there when they need someone to to land on a grenade. And so I think the people who wanted to progress, pro- progress the NCAA into something that's more functional, like you're talking about, like, hey, how are we going to handle these situations? And like, what, what is the legislation going to look like? They would present things at their um, their convention meetings. where, And that's when all the schools come and vote on this stuff. And what they found was it was easier for the majority of the stakeholders in the NCAA to pass the buck and say, we don't know, or make, or, you know, make Congress make us than it was to develop their own system. It's a lot. I mean, it's very similar to like Congress. It's very, it's very similar to, to our American government in general. So the, the, the NCAA asking Congress for help is one of the funniest things I've ever heard of. I think at that point it was, you know, I, I had an argument with Alex Kirshner, my co-host yesterday about this that he thought they went into Alston and that they really thought they were going to win. And I, I, I'm convinced that they knew they were going to die. I mean, a nine Oh decision from the Supreme court is impressive. I think they <laughs> knew they were walking. I think they knew they were walking in there to take an ass whooping so that they could essentially walk out of that and then go to their stakeholders at the NCAA and say, we tried. Sorry guys. No, like no, now it's out of our hands. No, the, fact nobody, that they, the, the fact that they've been studying this internally should surprise no one who is, who is a student of history or the tobacco industry, which, right. <laughs> which studied these things and knew all of the effects for yes. years before, before it, before they were ever forced to change their habits. Which well, is, uh, and, and when they had big enforcement cases between the time of the post Miami Nevin Shapiro reorg, because that's when they completely overhauled enforcement to basically this past year where NIL starts. I'll put my hands on the camera. That's a that's a distinct period of time. It's basically the the death of the old West, the end of prohibition, however you want to contextualize it, where you know the old ways are dying, but you really are going to fight against the dying of the light. You know, this was North Carolina. Um yeah, I'm trying to think North Carolina, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, all that, obviously. There's three or four other bigger cases you could probably think of. I think the attempt to police Baylor after Penn State falls apart is a huge part of this as well. This was a period of time in which internally they knew it was impossible to regulate some of this stuff. It was impossible to stop, for instance, the sale of alcohol. at the Towards the end of Prohibition, probies around the country were going back to Washington and saying, this is impossible. If anything, we all we've done is promote ingenuity and we have we have taught a criminal class how to be smarter. And, and created and a sport. That, and created a sport. <laughs> yes, and, and created NASCAR. Fuck yeah. Um, <laughs> world's first dirt track. So that is basically what enforcement said for these, for this, like, I don't know, I don't know, I can't remember the end of Shapiro and the reorg. Let's just say a 15-year period, right? That's the time in which Upon high at the Emirate level, they said, well, our stakeholders are saying, like, we we have to we have to toe the line and keep the example. We can't let these kids be paid. And the people doing the work are saying, hey, this is fruitless. This is not going to work. Yeah. So I think the MO at that time was to just find a scare, find find one or two cases that would scare the other schools into 
at least the image of compliance. But that didn't work either. Man, um, no, nobody will unify the most polarized and divided Supreme Court in the history of the world like the NCAA. Um, yeah. Stephen, what inform, what, how should college football fans, and we'll let you go on this, how should college football fans be parsing information that they see with all of these big overarching changes that are clearly coming, inevitable, and a part of our sport? Yeah. How, how can a smart, rational fan stay grounded and understand exactly what's happening? Um, everything with a grain of salt, I, I would say for the next probably two off-season cycles, because remember, we have television coming up too. I'm not trying to stack this here, but we're most of the major, most of the major conference deals are in reorg right now. They're in negotiation. So um, very interested about the Fox big 10 thing. Very interested to see if CBS does pivot and try and help the PAC 12 get back on its feet. The PAC 12 is in such bad shape right now that will inform the future more than NIL, believe it or not, because the rich are going to stay rich and the poor are going to stay poor. The one word that I would look for as a canary in the coal mine is when they start talking about autonomy. And what that means is, will Alabama live by a a set of rules that Florida lives by, but not Louisiana Monroe and not New Mexico State and not even honestly Boise or or, Houston's going to Big 12, but like a a splintering off of those 130 odd FBS teams will probably be more important as a fan to you than NIL. NIL is just designed to scare you. It has no impact on your Saturday, has zero impact on your Saturday. I mean, if you think like if Tennessee has a $6 million quarterback and they win nine games, like those things, I guess, technically are related, but it was going to happen anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's just just that now we see where the checks are coming from. It's 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 above the table. And if that bothers you, like, I mean, if that bothers, you know, know that nothing has changed. Know that nothing has changed. Yeah, I, I am fascinated where the line is and how many are above it and how many are below it, because that's really all that's going to matter moving forward yeah. at, at some point. And if all those TV contracts for the Pac-12, Big Ten and, and Big 12 end up around 2032, 2033, when the next two for the ACC and SEC run out, that's basically what Swarbrook is talking about. So yep. uh, keep an eye on the, the length of those contracts. Steven, uh, tell everybody all the things you're doing, where they can find you and all that good stuff. At 38 I work God at Secret Day. Base. Uh, I work at Secret Base. I occasionally write for The Post in Washington and I uh, run Split Zone Duo, SplitZoneDuo.com. And if I do anything else, I'm going to die. Um, that's it. Well, yeah. well, thank you. Thank you for uh, giving us some time. And we are honored to take a few minutes off the end of your life. We appreciate it. Thank you. Going great, boys. That was Stephen Godfrey. Uh... Steve, take take a deep breath. Um, I need to feel like I feel like I need to go sit on a quiet patio, maybe at Jasper's perhaps, and just uh, like like tone down and take a deep breath and like calm my body down because you got you got to be at a certain level to have a conversation with Stephen Godfrey about the uh, the power brokers in college football, with make which obviously make him um, <laughs> triggered isn't the right word, but it's it's a touchy subject for him. The, the there are few things that I enjoy more in sports than Godfrey with a good head of steam about something that he just finds either ridiculous, disdainful, or just corrupt. Uh, and so, you know, so college football, so college football, <laughs> so uh, he chose the right job. <laughs> so the NCAA, I mean, you, you know, the, he, I mean, he's, he's as plugged in to, the, the the interesting parts of of college football as as you will find um you know kind of the underbelly sort of pieces of it and and he's i don't know i i'm i'm biased but there's nobody better to kind of kind of give you the perspective on the changing landscape of college football than yep. one mr godfrey Esquire. if if you do if you want to live in an echo chamber and be told what you want to hear he's not your guy He's not your guy. No. <laughs> um, and I will say this, though, having known him as long as I have, and I know you've known him as long a long time, too. A lot of this is like, I think he's like naturally like us. Maybe maybe not you. I am naturally, I try to be optimistic, but I am naturally cynical and uh, like sort of questioning people's motives and sort of like believing the worst and what's going on and all this other stuff. I think he's got a lot of that in him. He's also experienced a lot of that from college football because it it's just the way it is. But those all are, of those those are not unconnected things, right? But like and like me, who's also been in that world, not quite as deeply entrenched in the the, the sewer as he is. But all, almost all of it comes from though, and for me too, and I think for him, from a like uh, like a completely unabashed love of the sport. 
And that really, like, that's what makes it so interesting to talk to him because it's like, he clearly has a lot of strong feelings towards some of the bad stuff that goes on, but it's because, and he says a lot of bad stuff about the sport, but it's because he actually genuinely loves the sport so much that that's where he lands. I mean, uh, at some point, we will we'll have to have a conversation with him about the podcast that he does called split zone duo uh, with, with a couple of other really good, good guys and kind of like the model that they're, that they're doing it on because it's, it's very they're impressive. On, they're on, they're on a Patreon. Uh, they're on a Patreon feed and have built like this really huge audience around it. Um, and, you know, part of the reason why is when when you hear those guys and when you hear Godfrey on that podcast, you know, I'm not trying to pimp other podcasts, please. Are we into recommendations now? R- rate, review, and subscribe everything on the 440 Podcast Network. But um, but but Split Zone Duo, you know, I'm highly recommending it. Uh, the the underlying the undercurrent of all of it from them is how much they love college football. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and and even, you know, even when they get into these kind of side discussions and ridiculous discussions, it's all from this, this place of really loving the sport yep. and love, uh, loving that sport above everything else. So is, is that your recommendation split zone duo podcast or do you have, uh, I got a couple like more, that? but yeah, well, then let's, we'll, we'll start there. Well then let me shamelessly promote uh, some stuff here. Cause I don't do this very often, but when we launch new shows, I got to do it. So um, check out, we, we, we've evolved a lot of some of the products on the 440 platform. We still have Gold Standard. We still have Club and Country. We still have, uh, um, uh, obviously, Fringe Element. Love all those shows. So make sure you go check them out. SEC Football, Nashville SC. Obviously, a little something, something happening this weekend for SC. Um, but uh, one of the new shows from Broadway Sports Media, highly recommend Easton Freeze, James Foster, hosting the Hot Read podcast. Um, two guys that are a really, really good. They do a really good analytical job of studying uh, NFL analytics and sort of bringing you some of that stuff. They got the Music City Audible and, and F Words Pod as well, um, which brings me to our new show. The 440 has evolved and become a product called, as creatively as the Dave Matthews Band would title a song number 41, a football show. It is called a football show. We are live Mondays and Thursdays, video from a studio. 1 p.m. Central Time with Zach Lyons and myself. And we talk SEC, we talk Titans, we talk draft, gambling, recruiting. It's going to be all about football for people in the Tennessee-ish area. <laughs> so check it out, a football show on the same feed as the 440. It's sort of taken over that product, and uh, we hope you like it. We did our first episode on Thursday. Uh, we'll be back on Monday to completely analyze the NFL draft and talk some college football. So go awesome. check it out. A awesome. Football, Can't a wait football to check it out. show. It's very, very creative, a football show. And 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 if you're and if you're already subscribed to, uh, to the 440, the old 440 uh, podcast, that'll just show up in that feed, correct? Yep, yep, it's already up there already from Thursday's episode. So, fantastic. There you go. There you go. All right, what you got for the good folks? Wrap us up uh, here, Steve. All right, so I got a couple things to recommend. I, I mentioned this. Uh, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. We own the city is now out on HBO Max. Uh, the first episode has dropped. I cannot be more excited about this show. Uh, I could not possibly be more excited about the show. It is just, I mean, it's, it's as good as it's as good as, as it was built. It's David Simon. It's Baltimore. It's cops. It's whatever oh. else. So, so like in his wheelhouse, you might say yeah, very much, very much. <laughs> I mean, it's going to feel, uh, I mean, parts of it are going to feel like an extension of the wire because there's, there's some similar actors in there. You're going to recognize some famous, uh, some faces in there, but John Bernthal, uh, who's the central character, this is a guy named Wayne Jenkins was running a thing called the gun trace task force, which was, uh, was taking money and uh, guns and drugs off the street, but also taking money for themselves from uh, and, and drugs for them, for themselves. And uh, it, it, I'm not going to, I want to get it too far ahead of it, but it's, it's about police corruption and it is just spectacular. I mean, it's got Josh Charles, who you'll recognize from a, a bunch of stuff from you know Sports Night and from Good Wife and a few other things. Uh, is just such a raging prick, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it, it's unlike he's he's a very likable sort of guy, uh, and most of his characters have been that way. So to see him this way is just it completely. It, it's 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 just. It's so good. <laughs> it's just so good. I don't. I don't want to step on anymore. We, yeah, we sat. We sat down to like um, do this this episode, and you were like, "Dude, dude, have you watched yeah, it yet? Have you watched it?" I was yeah. like, "It happened yesterday." No, I haven't. I haven't seen it. Uh, but I'm. With, but I am equally as excited and with you on 
on watching it because I as as a full blown wire is the greatest television show of all time guy, I I kind of have I I'm I'm with you on the excitement factor for sure. Uh, so the, the, the other thing I want to recommend, and I, and I cannot recommend this highly enough, uh, um, Tom Junod and Paul Levine uh, dropped a story, and, I, and it's big. I mean, I didn't do a word count, but my guess is somewhere north of, you know, 10 or 15,000 words um, called Untold. And it is the, the, it is the story of, you know, everybody thinks about Penn State and Penn State scandal around Jerry Sandusky's crime, but they had, you know, the, the the headline reads, but they, you know, they had Paternal and Penn State had faced a serial uh, sexual predator in their uh, in their midst before, and this is his story, uh, and it is, I, I think I said this on Twitter, it is a brutal piece of journalism, in the sense that. It is so completely thoroughly reported and, and so many aspects of it are examined and it is so complete in its nature uh, that when it lays out this series of really horrifying crimes uh, and all of the injustices that were uh, perpetrated upon the victims who did not get the justice that they deserved when this guy should have been locked up for, you know, decades uh, the first time he was caught. Yeah. That's the crazy part. Uh, and, and then he, he is paroled and then commits more crimes uh, is just, it, you're going to be, it, it will, it will piss you off. Uh, but you'll also, I mean, Tom Juno has, has been a magazine writer for a long time. Uh, and the work he's been doing at ESPN has been really good since he moved over there a few years ago. Uh, but I mean, it's, this is, it has all the hallmarks of kind of his work in, in that, in that it is, it is a, it is a very stripped down narrative. Uh, they don't try to, there's nothing very flowery about this and they don't try to oversell it, but they have so much detail that they don't have to. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're a fan of journalism and if you're, you know, if you're, if you're a journalist, I think this is almost a, a mandatory read yep, yep. because you can see all of the reporting that went into it and the thousands and thousands of pages of documents that they had to read in order to, in order to reconstruct some of these things and to, and to be able to, to be able to put some of the details that they put into the story is just, I mean, it, it's just a devastating work. Yeah. Uh, it's not happy. You will not be happy at the end no, of it. No, 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 you will no. Likely be pissed off like I was, uh, but it is it is such a fantastic read uh, and and a really really important story. Yep. Yeah. It's um. I, I read like two thirds of it, and then like three or four days later, you were like, "Dude, have you read this?" <laughs> it was kind of the same version of the of the TV show. You were like, "This is really serious," and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And I and I. It's just amazing to know what that community like. It's just how could there be another one of those? And like, I I've covered college football my whole career, and I didn't really know a whole lot about the no. And that, that's the thing is that they haven't. They, they made a, a. I came across it because they made a thirty for thirty, and I saw the I saw the the spot for the thirty for thirty, and and the the thirty for thirty is about the the original vic victim here. Her name is Karen, and, and her last last name's escaping me. Uh, and uh, a Penn State player named Irv Pankey, uh, and he would, he would later go on to a long time. I mean, he was he was a stellar lineman. He went on to like I think a thirteen year career in the NFL. Um, he was also regarded as like I mean I saw some, some people tweeting about this. You know, they called him you know just one of the best humans that they had ever encountered in the NFL. But the, but the thirty for thirty is about their relationship in the sense of she is somebody who accused a. Penn State player of sexual misconduct, uh, and so she was getting, she was getting the backlash from that on a yeah. on a campus of rabid Penn State fans, and he shows up at her door, and you know he is six five, you know two hundred and you know however many pounds, and just says, it says, you know I'm here because I believe every word you said, and 
he met her every day and walked her to class and, and was yeah. just, and was just her, he was just her friend. Uh, and I'd encourage you to go see the 30 for 32. Uh, it, it's a shorter, it's a shorter piece just to be kind of about their relationship. And, and, you know, and the, the kind of touching thing is that I don't think they had seen each other and, you know, since like right after college. Um, but, but just this friendship between them is really, really touching. It's an interesting sort of side story to this, just, like I said, brutal piece of journalism that Tom yep. Juno and, and, um, uh, Levine did. So some amazing, spectacular recommendations that are really thoughtful and intense and serious and important. And then watch my football live stream. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where we cuss about football. <laughs> How about that? Um, Steve. Where can the good people find you? They can find me uh, on Twitter at Scavendish. Uh, if you like pictures of dogs and food, uh, you can look at my Instagram, but that's pretty much all you're going to find there. And I assume we'll find you at uh, a small grand opening on Sunday afternoon. Uh, you can follow me at Braden Gall on Twitter. You can also find me at that grand opening. I can't. This is going to be one of those days, Steve, where. 10 years from now, there'll have been 400,000 people at the first game uh, at Geodis Park on Sunday. Geodis. Geodis? I don't know. We'll we'll figure out how to say it at some point. Geodis Park, uh, of course, is going to be a ton of fun. So check that out. Check out the Club and Country podcast, too, while you're at it. You can follow me at Braden Gall. I might have already said that, but I don't care. I'm running on very little sleep this week because I love the NFL draft. You guys all, thank you guys for hanging out with us. Thanks to Stephen Godfrey for hanging out with us. For Steve Cavendish, sign up for the National Banner, nationalbanner.com. My name's Braden Gall. Said that for the third time. Thank you guys all for listening. This has been Lamestream Sports here on the 440 Sports Network.